Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. As part of this series, we're connecting with PMMs all over the world about various product marketing topics. This week's episode is brought to you by AppCues. Have you ever launched a new feature that went unused? Waited days or weeks to get that user data you requested? You're not alone. We're still way too dependent on developers. That's why product marketers around the world are calling AppCues their new favorite product marketing tool. AppCues empowers product marketers to measure and improve product adoption without a developer. Brands like Amplitude, Privy, Fullstory, and Lyft use AppCues to track feature usage and engage users with in-app onboarding tours, feature announcements, and surveys. No code required. Visit appcues.com to start your free trial today. On today's episode, I'm happy to be joined by Alex McDonald, Market Intelligence Lead at Airtable. Alex describes his role as helping sales, customer success, and marketing cut through the noise with clear competitive positioning. From there, he helps product and strategy teams decide what to build next. Alex is also a fellow podcast host. Through his show, Dance Battle, Alex discusses all things competitive with various guests across the compete space. During our chat, Alex and I discuss the increasingly important world of market and competitive intelligence. The conversation actually comes at a perfect time, as Alex, in collaboration with the PMA, has launched Competitive Intelligence Certified. This online program is perfect for those who are ready to become the go-to person for all things competition at their organization. The course contains more than two hours of content across 10 modules, starting with building the foundations of your functions all the way through to bringing CI out to your sales team, product team, and executives. All right, with that out of the way, let's do it. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Mark, good to chat with you. Likewise, happy to have you here today. Yeah, excited to share about all things competitive intel. Likewise. Well, let me start by saying that I'm a huge fan of your podcast, Dance Battle. Uh, Before we learn more about you and your career journey so far, can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about the show and why you decided to create it? Yeah, so this one started uh, last year as a, uh, as maybe has become a bit of a cliche now as a bit of a a pandemic project. You know, I uh, um, had a bunch of free time. I, 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 I don't have little kids that were running around like many of our colleagues and coworkers. So it was pretty quiet around here. Um, and so I, I sort of, um, felt like I was, I was noticing that I, I felt like I had learned a lot of lessons over the years about competitive Intel. I'd learned by a lot of trial and error and a lot of error, especially. Um, and I, it, it just seemed to me like I couldn't be alone. I had met a few people in, in competitive roles that, um, I had learned a ton from in kind of one-off conversations of just getting to know them. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought I would try my hand at, at creating a resource, the, uh, the kind of thing that I, I wish I had five or seven years ago when I was getting started. Um, what I didn't realize or expect is that it would also be like the best possible excuse to just introduce myself to interesting seeming people um, and, and get to chat with them and, uh, and share lessons learned and experiences with them too, um, which maybe you've found in the podcast as well. That, that was like a, an incredible surprise from it. Yeah, it's, it's very rewarding when uh, you just you put something creative out there in the world and, and people find it helpful. So if, uh, yeah, I've kept it going for a second season now. Yeah, very excited uh, to check out that second season as, as it's going and as the new episodes become released. And like I said, I've, I've listened to, I think I've listened to your last three or four episodes um, and yeah, tons of great content. So for any of the listeners of this show who haven't checked it out, highly recommend it. Alex has some really interesting uh, insights and guests as well. And you guys dive into some really exciting and juicy topics in the world of competitive. So definitely if you're in this space, a must listen. Yeah. Yeah. The whole profession has 
kind of like a trench coaty vibe to it historically because it's competitive intel like it sounds like a you know kind of corporate espionage which obviously we know it's it's really not like that at all um but that can be kind of the the image that it has or or kind of the uh, you know, the demeanor that people, people in that, in that role carry with them. So I kind of want to, I kind of want to defy that um, and open it up. And maybe part of me was getting jealous of scrolling through LinkedIn and so, seeing so many, uh, you know, great pieces of wisdom and insight from people in roles like sales or, or, or demand gen or other types of marketing uh, or recruiting. People in those fields are posting all the time. Um, and so I, I think I wanted to, maybe part of me wanted to, to kind of join that, uh, join that wave of people opening up their lessons learned from their profession. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, during the pandemic, a lot of people taking on new projects, new opportunities yeah. to share their opinions and their views. And like I said, I think you've definitely got some great insights to share. And it's funny you mentioned the whole trench coat approach, because whenever I do reference competitive intel uh, at my organization today, I, I definitely throw in the uh, the trench coat detective emoji. Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> the uh, in, internal signifier of, of competitive intel. So uh, yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. has that reputation at times, but I think work like yours, as well as, um, you know, Clue and Crayon and the PMA are really helping to make the competitive space a little bit more welcoming and, and demystifying it in a lot of ways, which, that's is, right. which is very good to see. Yeah, that's the idea. I still play into that, uh, you know, kind of sitting in the tall grass with the binoculars kind of uh, image of it. Um, you know, maybe I, you, maybe you start the presentation with that and then you kind of rotate to say, okay, actually it's not really that it's more about, I, I, I spoke to 15 of you about how we compete and here's what I learned. And, you know, more of a curator than someone who's going a uh, dumpster diving for, uh, for some kind of, uh, some kind of special document or anything like that. So Alex, let's say you and I were competitors and I wanted to learn a little bit more about you. What would I see on your about or history page of the Alex McDonald website? If there was one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it'd probably be pretty close to what I what I have on my LinkedIn, which is something along the lines of, um, you know, I'm a marketer and a researcher. Um, what I do is I build intelligence programs and listening programs that help uh, that help sales and marketing teams cut through the noise of everything their their competitors are saying um, for uh, uh, to establish sort of clear positioning in, in the minds and, and hearts of customers. Um, and then from there, I'm also always kind of stepping, stepping back, stepping upstream a little bit to say, not only are we, are we telling the right story and going out with the right messages today to cut through that noise, but are we actually building the right things in the first place? Are we playing in the right markets in the first place where we, we actually have the best possible chance to compete? Uh, so that's what I'm all about. The way we do that is with a constant and, and participatory cycle of gathering information, reasoning about it. Um, thinking critically about what matters, where's the signal, where's the noise, um, in, involving, as I said, those groups like customer-facing teams, sales, and customer success, probably where I spend maybe 40, 50% of my time, and the other half split between my, my fellow marketers and, and then product and, and kind of strategy folks. Um, but yeah, that's that's the ultimate goal is, is building shared understanding about the competitive landscape so that we can, we can establish um, and convey clear and compelling uh, competitive positioning. Um, the places I've done that before, currently I'm at, uh, I'm at Airtable doing that in-house, uh, prior to this, I was with Envision, uh, in the, in the product design space. I loved working with that, uh, that customer base of, of digital product designers, just an incredible field. Um, their work is, uh, is so visual and so engaging and so thoughtful. It's, it's so left brain, right brain. So I took a ton from that role. 
Um, and prior to that, I've also done this work as a, as a consultant. So doing win-loss specifically, uh, as, which kind of I, I think of as one pillar of a great competitive Intel program for, uh, for SaaS companies. So um, I feel like I've had the, the luxury to, to focus within SaaS for most of my career, um, but between the consulting roles and different in-house roles, gotten to see a, quite a variety within SaaS of, of different industries and, and different types of companies, different stages of companies as well, which has given me the chance to pattern match, um, to pattern match. So yeah, that's kind of the, the niche that I've, I've found, uh, I've found for myself and, and that I really enjoy. Yeah, and it absolutely seems to be working for you. Like you said, you've, you've worked for some pretty notable companies so far, and it seems like you've gone from strength to strength. So yeah, you've been making a good go of it. I would, uh, from what I can see anyway, a couple of things that you mentioned that I just, I thought were really interesting. And I want to spend a little bit more time on, uh, the first one being, you know, really approaching competitive from the perspective of asking some of these really big and, and even strategic level questions, as opposed to being a program through which information is transferred across teams. I think a lot of times people have their perspective of competitive intelligence being a function that basically just tells you what our competitors are doing day to day, right? What new features are they releasing? What PR, you know, have they released? What campaigns are they running and so on and so forth. But I think part of the reason why competitive intelligence either lives on its own or often falls into product marketing is because like product marketing, we're forced to ask those big questions about yeah. the competitive landscape. So I think that's a great perspective and view that you've, you've put on that. I know others share that as well, but I think it's worth highlighting um, just to show the true power and value of, of competitive intelligence. And I also like what you started by describing yourself is, is building out this listening program, which I think is such an interesting and fascinating way to position competitive as a function of, of listening, whether that's internally, to the market, to your competitors, right. to your customers. And, I, and I've heard you actually mention that a couple of times to some of your guests on your on your show. I was just wondering if you could dive in a little bit deeper into what you feel makes a good like listening program and why that's such an important component of how you approach competitive intelligence. Yeah, there's um, there's this really simple framework that I use when I'm kind of explaining the function to, to people, um, uh, mostly internally, but even externally. And it just has four four really simple verbs uh, that go in a cycle that describe what I do. And it starts with listen, and then it's think, share, and act. But that that listen one is uh, is is probably the biggest, and and where I spend most of my time is is, is doing that verb. Um, I mean, what's included in there? It's things like that win-loss program that I mentioned, where we're actually going out and, and interviewing customers who recently evaluated us versus the competition. Um, that's kind of the richest one, but that's actually one of the, if you're just getting started, I might push that down the list a little bit because there's going, if you're just getting started, there's already so much information, let's call it. It might not be fully kind of processed and, and, and you know, thought about to, to determine what it really means, but there's at least information out there floating around your organization in different teams, sales has their perspective, maybe your, your, one of your marketing teams did a big audit of competitor messaging recently, some product team did a big feature teardown of, of, you know, for their relevant area of competitor products. There's going to be all these pockets. And if you're just getting started, simply acting as that curator who can pull this stuff together and then start to synthesize it, find the patterns, ask, so what? Ask, what does this mean for our messaging? What might this mean for our roadmap? bring that perspective, have a point of view, even before you've actually contributed any original research yourself and gone out and directly listened to customers, 
um, you know, add into the mix things like sales call intelligence platforms like Gong and Chorus that we have, where you can just punch in any keyword and go listen to five, 10 calls in the morning. Uh, there's, there's so much listening that you can do to start to form those perspectives. Then you can get, if you can get to that, that frontier of knowledge, then go out and do that original research, which is going to be a little more time consuming. And if you outsource it, it can also get a little more expensive, but you're going to get the most out of it if it's all based on uh, kind of that, that initial internal and, and maybe what you might call secondary research, like, like web scanning as well. Uh, pulling all that together, making as much sense out of that as you can, and then doing the, the more hands-on original research. So that's a bit of how I think about that listening piece. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic perspective and, and some really good recommendations for anybody launching their own competitive intelligence program or just getting into the space. And like you mentioned, I think a lot of the times the tendency or the first approach for anyone jumping into the role or starting in that function is to say, hey, let's get to go out and we got to buy a competitive intelligence tool like Clue or like Cran, or we got to get this, you know, these listening tools like Gong and Course, which you mentioned. And I think what you just kind of shared with us is that you really look internally first and, and turn on those listening ears and that listening part of your brain to get that understanding of where we are today. Cause like you said, there might be a lot of good information already existing internally that can cut out a lot of the, like you said, individual research that you would need to do um, to, to really build out that function and level it up. So yeah, great advice, I think for anybody starting out and we'll get into uh, a little bit later in our conversation other recommendations you might have for people looking yeah. to start for competitive intelligence. But I think uh, just what you shared right now is, is a good place to, to look at as well. For sure. Yeah. The other piece on the importance of that internal listening and internal networking is, okay, imagine you kind of skip or rush that step and you go do some win-loss or some competitive investigation kind of all on your own, considering yourself, you know, this heroic researcher. And then you come back to those teams like a product team or marketing team or sales team that, that is, they're ultimately the ones that are going to act on this. How do you think they're going to respond if they haven't heard about you and your work and they haven't been engaged in that process and they, they didn't have it actually a chance to share with you what they already knew, or at least what they already thought and their hypotheses before you ran off and did that. So uh, that, that would be one piece of advice to, to my past self. I can definitely look back and see times where I was a little over eager um, to, to kind of, cause you want to contribute, right? You want to contribute something original, um, but, uh, in order to know what's original and what's useful, you actually have to have that, that, that patient participatory process up front with all those, uh, those different groups around the, around the organization. For sure. Couldn't agree more. So my next question is around the terminology that's often gets used in this space. And I've heard it used interchangeably before. So I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts are on this topic, but the approach to this space being labeled competitive intelligence versus market intelligence, uh, I'm curious if, if you view them as two separate things, if you view them as the same thing and, and kind of what you've heard others say um, on this topic as well. Yeah, it's not a super strong opinion. I've had both titles. Um, I mostly use them interchangeably, but for slightly different contexts. Uh, so as far as a job title, I, I tend to prefer market intelligence for a couple reasons. The most sort of um, tactical one is uh, you know, if you're doing research or you're reaching out to people on LinkedIn or you're joining a call with customers and they see competitive intelligence, that's like a bit of a harsh job title. <laughs> but if you see market intelligence and you just introduce yourself as a market researcher, which you are, or someone from the marketing team, and you're going to bring that perspective on the competition as part of that, um, it feels maybe a little bit more approachable. That's one. That's, that's pretty tactical. The other one that's a little bit more, maybe a little more heady is 
with that, that term uh, or that concept of market intelligence, I find it reminds me to not get overly focused on direct competitors themselves and always be thinking about that market picture more holistically and including other players like partners, like investors, all these other forces in our market ecosystem. And of course, you know, users themselves, I'll often partner up with um, our user research teams or design research teams where they might be leading a study to understand, uh, you know, okay, how easy to use or straightforward is, is this part of our product? Okay, and compared to what, right? So if we wanna do a compared to what part of that study, now that starts to get into a nice overlap between our worlds. And I can suggest, you know, what competitors we might want to compare ourselves to. Um, I can bring kind of that, that commercial perspective because I spent, spent so much time with our sales teams as well. Um, so market, that banner of market intelligence reminds me to include those other, those other parts of the, of the role that might not always feel so directly about competitors, but they are about our ability to compete, if you will. The term competitive intelligence I also celebrate because it's just a little more specific. Um, so for the podcast, for example, I didn't call that the market intelligence podcast because people, I don't think people go out and search market intelligence if they're, if they've been tasked with this, I think they're searching competitive intelligence. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of how I think about it. Maybe I should just pick a lane at this point and stick with it, but I've, I've found, um, some merits of, of both terms in slightly different contexts. So sometimes if I can't make up my mind, I just say market and competitive intelligence. No, I think that's great. And I think this is a perfect example where picking a lane necessarily isn't something you, you really have to do. Uh, I think as any good product marketer will know, the way that you position and message anything is important to the audience to whom you're speaking. And I think the yeah, examples you just gave are perfect to uh, understand like the term you use is relevant in, like you said, the context, but also to the audience you're speaking. Uh, and I, yeah, I love that example of, of hopping on calls with customers and, and saying, well, I'm, I'm in competitive intelligence and the vibe that might give. That's uh, right. And the, and the spin that might put on the whole call. So yeah, having a uh, a term like market intelligence being kind of like the softer way in, as it were, but also being this more welcoming and all-encompassing um, term. Yeah, where competitors, competitors are, are part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. 100%. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, you know, on the topic of product marketing, because this is, after all, a product marketing-focused podcast, I know you spend some time as a product marketer as in, at Envision, and I'm sure you've talked to a number of product marketers uh, in your day-to-day, -day, but also through your own show. In being in the role yourself and having spoken with so many product marketers, have you identified or, or witnessed any common misconceptions or mistakes that other product marketers or even organizations as a whole uh, have, have done or, or, or you know, fallen into when it comes to competitive intelligence? Yeah, we, we touched on it a little bit, but I, I think the big reflection for me there is perhaps uh, getting overly focused on you know, going off and doing some like fact finding of let's, you know, dig into, do they have every feature that we have? What is their exact pricing model and pricing curve for every, you know, customer of every size and perhaps falling into a bit of what I, what you might call an illusion that capturing more detail and going off and like, and just getting really busy and, and digging into all this detail about competitors is necessarily going to lead to more clarity. Um, that is, that is not necessarily true. Uh, detail can help, but only if I, I find if, if it all kind of builds up to some more, more cohesive, bigger idea. And again, like we touched on, if you're just getting started with this and you're feeling, you're probably getting started with this because the competitive pressure is dialing up, right? So that means that it's not just you, everybody else around the organization is, is, is probably going off and, and doing a little bit of their own digging. And so again, if you just are, are, are patient and participatory in that whole process, map out all those different stakeholders, 
What have they already looked into? What questions do they have? And you can first act simply as an aggregator, but then start to synthesize and come up with those bigger ideas. Okay, wait a second. This isn't just about who has a few more check marks versus their X's. This is about actually a, a really fundamentally different way of solving the customer's problem. That competitor has really different foundations than us. They see the world, they see the customer's world really differently than we do. Okay, now we're talking about more of like this, this bigger thesis statement about what makes us different from them. And all the detail can fall underneath that, right? So we can then specify, okay, actually in the technology or in our pricing model, we work differently because it, uh, it all falls away from this, this kind of bigger uh, difference in belief. Um, that's harder, right? That's a little more like heady and um, um, it requires a little more patience than, uh, than just going out and you know, digging into competitor products and, and stuff like that. That would probably be the second one. This is pretty tactical, but especially in this world of, you know, we're, we're in SaaS, uh, product-led growth has, has really taken off as, as, a, as, a, as an expectation almost for how, how customers and users want to uh, evaluate tools. So many companies have a free trial, if not a full-on free plan. And as product marketers and product managers do this too, and even salespeople sometimes, we might be compelled to go and just sign up for that free trial and use it ourselves. Okay, a couple points there. This is a, a common one that I, I often find myself addressing, not so much anymore internally, people get it now, but um, uh, around different, uh, different roles I've had. Number one is the ethical point. So I don't use a personal Gmail. I'm always using my, uh, my full work credentials, if you will. I'm saying who I am, who I work for. So let's all be upfront about that. That's number one. Uh, ethics are non-negotiable for me. Number two, though, uh, is that if I'm going to go use a competitor product myself, I really better have a very specific question I'm trying to answer that I haven't been able to answer by studying and listening to what actual users and customers think about that product. Because I'm a product marketer that is thinking about this space and these types of products all day long. Uh, I am not a user, a real user in the market that is, that is experiencing one of these products for the first time. Um, in, there are some types of products where we feel like we can get away with this. Like you, you mentioned, I worked at Envision previously. And sometimes at Envision, the temptation was, well, let's get our designers to look at the competitor products because they're designers. That's the target market. Yeah, okay, but they're designers at Envision. Like they're designers that think about design tools all the time. That's not the same. They're not under the same, um, uh, under the same context or the same pressures that a designer at, at, you know, at financial services is under. That's totally different. So um, yeah, I mean, just this week, I, I, uh, we, we did a little bit of work um, understanding one of our competitors, uh, perceptions of one of our competitors and customers found it very easy to use. And quite frankly, when I look at that product, I find it um, you know, really, uh, really hard to read and hard to parse, uh, but I'm not one of those users. And I have to set my personal perceptions aside um, and, and listen to that first and foremost. From there, I might bring in some assertions to say, okay, I think if we, if we frame the problem differently to these users, maybe it doesn't actually seem so easy to use because it's not really built for that problem. Okay, yes, you can bring in your own assertions after that, but you have to be anchored and centered in what those customers actually think. So bit of a rant there, uh, but that would be another common misconception or, or maybe misstep is going off and signing up for a free trial or free plan of a competitor product and forming a bunch of opinions about it just by using it yourself. Those are great. I, I love those uh, so much. And, and two things I wanted to quickly highlight there for our listeners. The first being, 
you know, we as product marketers take such a critical approach to how we shape our own positioning and messaging and competitive differentiation. But oftentimes, to your point, when we look at our competitors, we look at the very surface level, right? We look mm -hmm. at what are their features? What are their pricing? What are some of their testimonials? Like what kind of spaces are they playing in? But we, we sometimes, because we're so busy in the defense of product marketers, um, we don't take that same critical approach to what that competitor's value proposition might be, what, what the components and, and pillars of their own messaging might be. So I think really applying that um, critical lens is really important to your point of, of, you know, avoiding some of the missteps and having a more successful competitive intelligence program. The other thing, and I think this again should resonate with product marketers is like you said, approaching a competitor almost in the same way we should approach our customers with this, which is empathy. Um, it's a term that gets used a lot, obviously in product marketing, but going into that competitive situation and experiencing their product through the lens of your customers in the same way that you approach your own product through the lens of your customers and with that empathy is only going to make the way that you look at that competitor and the decisions and insights you glean from that interaction that much more powerful. So yeah, I think that's some great advice that you kind of highlighted for any product marketer looking to avoid some of those common missteps. So I appreciate you sharing those. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The other point about deeply understanding that that broader value prop of a competitor, um, and at least starting, like at least part of your analysis should be studying the, the message that they are broadcasting to the world. If you've done that well, and again, if you've, uh, if you've built that internal network and you, you, you've been acting as a curator to, uh, to understand everything your organization already knows about the competition, then let's say then you go out and do some original research, maybe some win-loss research, and you may find that the reasons that customers are actually choosing to work with that competitor are quite different from what the competitor actually puts out there in their messaging. Okay, wait a second. So now there's a gap between their messaging and the, the reality of their product. Um, that might be something that we, can, um, that we can use to kind of clarify our messaging or our positioning. So yeah, when, when you start to understand all these different pieces, you can look for gaps between them as well. That's where things can get really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. You got to look for those... Um weak points in their armor. And that's a, yeah. a to, to zoom in on if you can find it. So yeah, great advice there as well. So my next question really dives into the notion of competitive intelligence over the past couple of years. You know, it's a space that as I'm sure you've seen firsthand kind of explode more, more recently, especially with the, you know, emergence of, of tools like Clue and Crayon uh, and more and more product marketers taking on competitive intelligence as a part of their role, or even focusing on that exclusively, or having these new roles built exclusively around competitive intelligence. So in yeah. seeing those different changes over the past, like I said, three to five years, I'm curious, are there any other trends uh, that, that stick out or, or that you think you know, maybe even three to five years ago, we didn't think were possible? Well, there's one macro trend that has shifted the nature of my work a little bit. And I think it's mostly to do with the fact that that SaaS overall is just exploding and we're seeing new categories or existing categories being rewritten and expanded. Obviously don't need to sort of overtread the fact of, of the role that, that the pandemic and you know this accelerated digital transformation has had on that. The particular effect that that's had on my role though is that you know maybe three, five years ago, I was spending a little more time uh, really focusing on direct competitor and, and comparisons because there was a lot more rip and replace happening. 
Um, this may have had to do with the categories that I worked at at the time a little bit too, but I think there's something more macro. Whereas now I find that the nature of my work is more along the lines of how do we get there first? How do we get to new customers first before competitors do to the point where maybe they don't even consider competitors. So it's not even so much about direct comparison or rip and replace, but because there's now so much more uh, demand for all these different SaaS categories at large, if you can just be the one that describes the problem with whatever kind of, let's call it offline solution they're currently using, whether that's spreadsheets, emails to get the job done, if you can describe that problem really well, get there quickly, uh, shape their buying criteria, maybe competitors come into the picture late because procurement asks your champion to look at a couple more tools to kind of round out that matrix and you know show that they've done their diligence, but that's hardly a competitive situation. I, I, I would take that, uh, that, that one every day. Um, so what is that? Like, is that, is that still the same? Is that still competitive intelligence? It starts to feel like something broader, right? It starts to just feel like this broader, um, understanding of, of go-to-market strategy, where are competitors going again, competitors being a part of it, where are they going? What message are they bringing there? What product are they bringing there? Um, but yeah, that's, that's been one shift in my world is less about, um, rip and replace in saturated markets and more about the entire pie growing but everyone wanting to get the biggest slice for themselves before you know it saturates again and we, we all have to kind of rip and replace each other. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, like you said, with the emergence of these new task categories, and it seems like this really, I don't want to say hype around it, but it's something that I know others have observed, but everybody wants to create a category, right? Like that seems to be the new thing. A lot of you know, thought leaders in the space of category creation will say that you're only going to be successful if you're not playing where everybody else is and you're creating your own category. And I think that push to, to create these new categories has really segmented a lot of different categories that really should just be one and has confused a lot of buyers in the space. Totally. And I, to your point, right? If, if you can really look across those different fragmented categories and really identify what that key problem that you and your competitors or even competitors in adjacent spaces and categories are trying to solve. It doesn't matter if you create the category because at that point you've almost like merged several into, into one just by focusing on that key core problem um, instead of trying to play in a different space. So yeah, I think that's a great observation and uh, an opportunity as a product marketer to really say, Hey, I think there's a lot of noise here. Like, let's just try and focus on this one problem and not worry about category X, Y, and Z. Like what's the core problem that we're all trying to solve and let's do it better than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. The other shift maybe uh, that I've felt, yeah, again, maybe over the past five years or so is, is more just a, one of, of cultural tone. I don't know if this is specific to competitive intelligence, but I feel it in this role um, where you, you mentioned earlier that the, the, two, the term empathy now feels overused. I don't know if that would have been the case five years ago. I feel like there's a general sort of humanity, call it empathy, humility, maybe vulnerability as well that has entered our kind of business mainstream um, uh, kind of mindshare, if you will. And I feel that in competitive intelligence because, yeah, I, it's not, just never been my, you know, the, pod, the title of the podcast is Dance Battle, not War Games, um, because that's never been how I've looked at the work. And I have kind of my, my little rationale for why that is. But um, that has suited me. Uh, maybe I've self-selected to go work for leaders and companies that, that uh, you know, also carry that humility and vulnerability. So maybe I'm, I'm just making up a trend um, that just fits with my, my pattern of behavior. But uh, that, that has changed, I think, the nature of competitive intel. I think people respond 
really well to that approach that is based on, you know, centered on customer needs and, and just this, this patient and thoughtful understanding of where we are, where competitors are. And I, I just don't see or hear people responding to this, to, you know, maybe a more dated notion of like, uh, you know, we're going to kick their ass and, you know, knock them out. Like the, that, that kind of more macho uh, culture or attitude seems to have faded. Again, maybe that's just the people I've chosen to surround myself with, but I think there's something broader. No, I think you're definitely right. And I think a, my opinion on that is that I, I think it, it's stemming from the general shift we're seeing in just society and the consumer, let's say, appetite for wanting to engage with brands and businesses that don't have that same level of humidity and, and, and ethical approach to the way that they, they do business. And seeing yeah. that mentality of, of me as the consumer shift into me as the buyer at this company. So not only am I looking to obviously solve a problem by finding a solution, but I also want to find a solution that, because I'm going to be potentially the one using it day to day, aligns with who I am as a person. And not only that, but my company's values as well. And I won't name any specific companies because I know you and I probably have friends and, and former colleagues who work at some of these companies today. But I think there's just been like a general negative reaction to specific players within, let's say, like the social media space or, or other categories sure. as well, because of what's happened over the past 18 months to two years that people don't respond positively to that aggressive and super uber competitive behavior because it is kind of telling to what other practices that business might be up to and how they might approach other important social issues. So again, not to get all moral and, and, and judgy or, or preachy in any yeah, way, but yeah, yeah. I do think that insight and that trend that you've observed um, is also there. And, and I wonder if, if the just general change in, in consumer behavior and, and society is, is driving that. Yep. Right on. All right. So we, we touched on this a little bit before, but I do want to dive into this a little bit more. And that's around the emergence of these new competitive intelligence tools. You know, we mentioned Clue, we mentioned Crayon. There's several other in that space and also, you know, other competitive intelligence tools that don't necessarily solve those same problems, but do support the function of competitive intelligence. And I wonder if you have any advice for any product marketer who's maybe been assigned, assigned to go out and evaluate those solutions uh, and how they might approach doing that and what tips you might have when it comes to selecting a competitive intelligence tool. Yeah, so like buying any tool, uh, I think it's almost trite advice, but just getting super clear upfront about what problems you're trying to solve, uh, the negative consequences of trying to continue to do it the way that you're doing. Um, Put that stuff, you know, down on paper. Uh, it it can be uh, whether it's you know these these particular tools or others that are kind of uh, peripheral to it. Like it, it can be really easy to to see a really compelling demo from a tool, and and just get caught up in it and feel like that's just something you need. Um, and you make the business case, and then you know even other people that should have adopted it forget about it. But even you yourself might forget about it. So uh, again, that that patience up front to sort of pause and and try to look look past the gloss of any new tool. Um, and get really clear on what problem you're solving. These particular competitive intelligence tools, they, they have completely changed the way that I work um, uh, prior, prior to these tools. I mean, either you are uh, on the collection side of things that broadly I think of the, the problems that they solve in, in two main buckets. There's the collection of, of Intel and like web scanning that they do really well. And then there's the, the sharing and distribution side. On the, on, the, on the collection side, I mean, like I said, I always have really taken that uh, that component of the program, that listening component of the program um, really seriously and spent a lot of time doing it. But ultimately, if you're just doing that as 
a human, you're either going to miss things or you're going to spend way too much time manually checking these different sources. And so it's just been an absolute superpower to have a tool like this on my side where I can, uh, you know, just get an alert that something has changed on a competitor website or there's some new uh, content somewhere on the web about them um, that I might, you know, not necessarily, it's not so literal that I take that, you know, that, that insight that comes from one of these tools and like put it straight on a battle card. Again, there's still that step of contextualizing, curating, uh, pattern matching that, that goes on. There's still that in-between processing, but uh, it's just, it gives you such a, um, such confidence that you're either, again, not, not going to miss things or not miss them as much. Um, and that you, you have more time back to, to actually do that thoughtful analysis and, and spend time on the distribution. Um, so that's, how, that's mostly, mostly how, again, that's mostly how I've used them. Um, on the distribution side, they can be really powerful as well for, for setting up uh, reports for people in different parts of the organization that might only be interested in content to do with with their function or with their part of the business. So you are not uh, you know, the middle person that has to curate and distribute for them. They can go straight to the source. Uh, that's, that's really powerful as well. Um, yeah, so it's definitely worth a look. Uh, but yeah, just, just with, any, uh, with any software purchase or tool purchase, uh, that clarity upfront about what problems you're trying to solve, uh, what outcomes you're looking for is, is gonna help you. Absolutely, and, and on the topic of that clarity, just to go back to a point you made at the very beginning of our conversation, it's important, obviously, to have that clarity for what you want the tool to do for you in your specific role, but also to listen to your colleagues and the teams that you're going to be supporting with that tool and identify what they want out of it. You might be considering a tool that doesn't really do the things that those other teams need it or want it to do. So if you're not proactively listening and asking those questions, you might end up buying a tool that, yeah, works really well for you, but no one outside of you or your function or your team is going to adopt it. And at that point, you question yeah. the overall value of it anyway. So definitely important to, like you said at the beginning, start with that listening piece. That, that's a, that is a great tie back. Um, and hey, I mean, it also makes the, the, the business case for it, if you want to take it to that level, much easier uh, to bring to your leadership or your IT or your procurement teams to say, this is not just you know, Mark's handy tool that he uses on, uh, you know, for with 20% of his time that he spends on competitive, this is actually something that uh, people in our product and half our sales organization has logged in this week and our services team, like they're all using it. They're all getting value. Here's three quotes from them where they said they found something and they started a dialogue about it that they wouldn't have otherwise seen. You know what I mean? Like if it, if it has uh, all those different branches into the organization of adoption, it's going to be much easier to make that case. Absolutely. Well, it's crazy to, to say this out loud, but we're already near the end of our chat here. I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you, and I feel like the time has just flown by. Uh, before I do let you go, though, I wanted to ask you my last question. Uh, and you know, up until my previous conversation with Aldi, I was asking the same question at the end of every episode. But he, you know, has a whole show um, from the Product Marketing Alliance called Product Marketing Careers that dives into the topic way more intelligently and in and, and, and more detail than my question ever did. So I've decided to retire and is basically what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> so instead, I wanted to use you as the guinea pig for my new final question. Uh, so hopefully uh, you and the listeners enjoy it. But I wanted to ask this, if you could be a product marketer at any company in the world for any product or service that they offer, what company or solution would you choose and why? So I'm not just saying this, but I am really... Uh thrilled to be working as a product marketer at Airtable, primarily because there's a bit of an origin story where I used Airtable in a previous role 
to kind of transform the way that, that our group was working. Um, people started using it for things that I'd never expected when we first brought it on. It just brought in this autonomy and creativity in people. So that is absolutely worth saying. I am, I am very uh, grateful and thrilled for the opportunity to work at Airtable. But in the spirit of the question, uh, there's this Canadian uh, financial tech company called Wealthsimple. You probably know it, Mark, as a, as a fellow Canadian. I have admired what they have done from sort of the first billboard that I remember seeing about them, what they stand for of bringing the tools to build wealth, build financial freedom, you know, financial literacy uh, to, to absolutely everybody, the way that they have targeted a, a younger audience historically, um, as opposed to, you know, traditional financial services that are, you know, kind of uh, maybe just you use whatever your parents used or whatever your uncle told you to use and you meet some guy in a dark office somewhere and they explain some data sheet to you that you never understand. I mean, the experience of using Wealthsimple could not be further from that. So the fact that they have that, that brand um, kind of cachet and, and connection, at least that I've felt on their side, a product experience that, that backs it up so it's so consistent with it. Um, that would make that a really exciting product to, to work on for me. One thing about them, I don't know anybody that works there, but I'd be very curious to understand why over the last couple of years, I've started to see so many ads from them that seem pretty different from what they originally stood for, which is like get rich slow originally, where you're going to do this really boring investing. And it's not about, you know, make getting, you know, some, some really lucky trade executed, now they seem to be advertising really heavily into individual stock trading or even fractional trading now uh, and crypto. And it's like, that stuff is cool. And I know it's totally in like the zeitgeist right now with you had the GameStop thing and like that, that's cool that that's entering the mainstream. And if I had to guess their rationale, it's probably that that stuff is, they would see that as an entry point to then kind of educate and maybe inform those younger consumers. That's like, Hey, cool that you're interested in, you know, getting involved in, in investing, but trading is not the same as investing. And maybe you kind of pull them into those, to the, to that deeper, um, that deeper and maybe more, uh, more, more conservative approach to, to finance and investing that way. Um, they're taking advantage of it, but I'd be very curious to learn from someone directly there, what, what that shift's been all about. Um, that company fascinates me and, uh, yeah, ultimately I, I do, I do really love what they stand for and their, their product and experience. That would be a fun one to work on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Wealthsimple. I actually went to, uh, not at the same time, I don't think. We may have been off by a year or two, but with the founder there, we, we went to the same undergraduate uh, program. Okay. Yeah, I too have been following them for quite some time. Um, and a couple of things to quickly just touch on with your answer. One is it's always great to obviously work in an organization that you've interacted with their product and their solution at some point in your career and it really resonated with you. So I think you're very fortunate to find yourself at a company like Airtable that does exactly that for you. So that's awesome to yeah. see. And yeah, I, I think with Wellsimple, I, th I think you're right. I think they, um, I always associate them with kind of being maybe not the pioneers because I know FinTech has been around in some form and another for quite some time, but I almost see them as like bringing FinTech to the masses and then being one yeah. of the leaders of that. So whenever I hear the word fintech, my brain immediately thinks wealth simple, and I think that speaks to a lot of their ability to create that um, that brand, as as you mentioned, and kind of what they stood for initially. I think I agree with your point that maybe that has changed a little bit over time for the reasons that you kind of uh, outlined. And, and who knows, maybe they just need a strong uh, product marketer. That's right. <laughs> a different product marketing um, or even. Yeah perspective to really critically ask those questions internally, but I'm sure like, to your point, they've, they've got some reasons for it as most. I bet. I bet. Yeah. And I saw they're starting to do some B2B stuff as well. I think they already had some, um, some products that were for, 
uh, for investors or for um, financial planners or something like that. And then I also saw recently they're launching like basically like a group RSP or matching like for workplaces. Um, so that's cool. I mean, yeah, the, <laughs> the RSPs that I've had where you sign up, like whatever it is in your first month and you're like literally mailing in your paperwork, like, come on, there's no way we still have to be doing this. It's yeah. just, uh, at least anytime you see that, you're like, oh, this is just so ripe for, uh, for yeah, a company like that to come in and, uh, and, and just simplify it. Uh, don't even have to do anything radically different. Just, just simplify it. And then there's cost savings on their side that they can pass on or, um, yeah, just um, otherwise that stuff just feels so cryptic to people and intimidating and they, they never really understand it or they hire someone to do it for them. And it's just such a shame. Like you're, yeah, I, I, I just love the subject. Your personal finances is like, it's just such an important tool to the kind of life you want to have. So of course, yeah. And talk about identifying a competitive gap in the, uh, in the marketplace uh, right. and that yeah. they really succeeded in uh, to bring it back to the topic of our conversation here. Awesome. Well, well, this has been great, Alex. I think obviously you and I could probably keep chatting about this, uh, this topic for, for days, but uh, we'll, we'll call things here before I let you go though. I will ask, you know, in addition to dance battle, uh, which you can go and listen to on the podcast platform of your choice, uh, is there another way that our listeners can get in touch with you or anything else you want to plug before I let you go? Yes. So start on LinkedIn. It's uh, Alex McDonnell, A-L-E-X-M-C-D-O-N-N-E-L-L. Um, we're happy to be, would, would be happy to connect with you on there. Uh, and then the other plug is, uh, is a really big project that I've been working on for probably six, seven months now. I'm um, finally launching here at the end of September. So uh, we've got a course launching with the Product Marketing Alliance called Competitive Intelligence Certified. Uh, it's a two plus hours of content. Uh, you've got, I think, 10 or 11 different resources and templates in there. And it is my attempt at distilling everything that I've learned about this line of work over the past uh, maybe seven, eight years into, uh, yeah, basically a resource that just kind of captures everything that, that I wish I had <laughs> when I was getting started. Um, and so, yeah, my, my hope with that course was, uh, was um, to, to really move the profession forward. Like I said, at the top, like it's just got this kind of trench coat vibe to it. Um, there's a few of us, uh, a few of us that are, that are trying to change that and, and share what we've learned and, uh, and, and open up the profession to more people. Um, so we can all learn from each other and, and, and go further faster. So um, yeah, I would be happy to, to, to connect with anyone on LinkedIn, chat with you about the course. If you're thinking about it, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're looking for something to invest uh, in your own professional development and, and use that, uh, uh, that budget that your, your workplace gives you, uh, I, would, uh, I would encourage you to look there as, uh, as something that you want to add to your toolkit. Whether you are a product marketer that's been asked to do competitive intel with you know, 20, 25% of your time, or maybe you are uh, stepping into a full-time competitive intel role uh, for the first time, maybe you've even been in a role for, for quite a while, uh, but looking for resources, resources like this that might bring you a fresh perspective um, and, uh, and kind of take you up a level, um, have a look. Absolutely. As someone who's taken uh, quite a few of the PMA uh, certified courses uh, myself, uh, I can only imagine that your course, Alex, will, will be at the same level of quality and information as the others. And obviously, as I'm sure our listeners have gleaned through our conversation, even just today, you're very passionate about the space. You're very knowledgeable about the space. So I couldn't uh, picture a better instructor for the course. And I'm sure anyone who participates in it will get a tremendous value out of it. So I too will highly recommend when it does become available at the end of September to, to register. And if you do have any questions, like Alex said, find them on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. This was a ton of fun.
Yeah, likewise. Really enjoyed having you on, Alex. Thanks so much. And I'm sure uh, we will hear from you again very soon. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.